2: Ladies and gentlemen thrilled to have you here for another epic debate today is going to be an interesting one as we have two guests here debating a very hot button issue and we want to let you know at modern day debate we are trying to welcome you no matter what walk of life you come from we really do hope you feel welcome here as we debate politics religion and science as well as some other controversial topics as we really do want everybody to have their shot at making their case and we also try to do it in the non you could say the most non-partisan way possible as we really do want to be fair to everybody and with that want to let you also know if it's your first time here consider hitting that subscribe button as we are very excited for future debates coming up so for example Tomorrow, Sargon will return as he will be debating Brenton on whether or not transgender women should be able to compete in women's sports. So that should be an interesting one. And also want to let you know, a couple more housekeeping type things. We are very excited, folks. If you have not heard yet, or if you have not checked yet, we are invading the podcast world. So modern day debate is not not only going to be on podcasts, this is just something in addition to YouTube. And so check out your favorite apps as you'll see the ones pictured on the right side of your screen, those apps we're already available on, and we're going to have new debates being uploaded onto our podcast as we go, including this debate. So that should be a lot of fun, and with that, we also want to give one quick thanks as We used to have it such that our audio of the debates was only available to patrons. So we want to say, if you have ideas on how we can kind of say thank you to our patrons, let us know, especially if you are a Patreon patron, let us know as we really do want to say we really appreciate you as now you could kind of say the last big perk of Patreon we have made public. And so we're looking for new ways in order to kind of say, we really appreciate your support. And with that, oh wait, two other things really quick. This is kind of the under the same broad umbrella of people looking for debates. One is we have someone who is anti-cancel culture. So if you are a defender of cancel culture or some variation of it, let me know at Modern Day debate at Gmail as we can hopefully set up the debate if you would like to participate. We're also looking for someone who would be willing to defend their case for evidence of alien abductions. So yes, we are going there. That should be interesting. And with that, want to introduce our speakers. I want to say first up front, folks, I have linked both of the speakers in the description. So that way, if you would like to hear more of them, you can. That's why I put those links there. Go ahead and click them and you can learn more about our guests. And also what we're going to have is a fairly flexible format. It's going to be 10 minute opening statements, one from each side, starting with Kay, who will be taking the Oh gosh, you know what? I didn't even put it in the border. So K is actually defending the pro-life position, and then Ray will be defending the pro-choice position. And so I should have put that in the border and didn't even realize it. But what we are going to do is have Q&A at the end, which will follow after our roughly 50 minutes of open conversation. And then you will have a chance to ask your questions. So feel free during the debate to fire your questions into the old live chat. If you tag me with at modern day debate, it makes it easier for me to be sure I get every question in that list for the Q&A. Super chat is also an option, in which case you can not only ask a question, but make a comment that of course, the speaker or speakers would get a chance to respond to. And it'll push your question or comment to the top of the list for the Q&A. So with that, we are very excited to kick this off. So first, I'll give it just a chance. We'd love to hear kind of both Kay and Ray, what you've been up to in terms of what you've been doing at your, in terms of your passion projects on social media and otherwise. So thank you both for being here. We'll start with Kay and then we'll go back to, we'll go to Ray and then I will get Kay started on her opening. But first, Kay, thanks so much for being here. What have you been up to lately in terms of passion projects and social media and the like?
1: Uh, Well, anybody that follows me knows that I'm super, super active on my Twitter. Um, I tweet a lot. Uh, Sometimes people say I tweet a bit too much. Um, But other than that, um, as far as social media goes, I am actually working on uh, uploading to a YouTube channel more regularly. I have a YouTube channel that I started years ago that I upload very irregularly to. Um, and I am trying to get better with that so that regular content is being uploaded to that channel, hoping to kind of get that ball rolling a little bit more in the future.
2: You bet, well thank you very much. We're stoked to have you here and I can add that link in the description if you'd like at either before or I should say during or after the debate. So thanks so much, Kate. And with Ray, we, we really were excited to have you. It's the first time here. So welcome. And coming from all the way over in, is it? did you say it was England? Yeah, the United Kingdom. Absolutely. Well, we're excited to have you and thanks for staying up late with us. We really appreciate it.
3: No, it's absolutely no problem at all. So, I mean, to answer the question, I've been trying to build a platform, Stage 501, having the website stage501.com, and we're just doing um, podcasts about, you know, events that are, that are happening every week, and we sort of, you know, cover things from a kind of center-left perspective, but I like to invite everyone from every political persuasion onto my show to have debates and so on. So, we've been running for probably about a year and... 10 months or so now something like this so we're doing pretty well i think we're building up the platform and i guess i'm active on social media so you know people can come and harass me on twitter if they want to and see what result they get but yeah no everything's going pretty okay
2: absolutely glad to hear that thanks so much ray and with that we will kick it over to kay for this opening statement as i had mentioned kay will be defending the pro-life position so kay the floor is all yours
1: Okay, so uh, I'm Kay Fellows. I have been a pro-life activist for nearly seven years now. Uh, I started off in pro-life activism as a very staunch uh, Republican traditional conservative, and over the last two years or so, I have kind of moved more into libertarianism. Um, And with my shift in my political views, I have also shifted a lot um, in my defenses of my pro-life beliefs, but I have um, stayed. Very consistently pro life throughout all of my political shifts. Um, If anything, I've become more pro life. Uh, I do believe that the right to life is an inalienable right um, meant for all humans, regardless of location, age, size, development, etc. I fully believe that uh, abortion is a violation, a staunch, horrible, violent violation of the rights to life, and that. With the inalienable right to life, we should be protecting it from the very, very beginning, the very smallest of human beings, the very smallest of our species that cannot defend themselves from the atrocities of things like abortion. Uh, We should be fighting like hell to defend those who cannot defend themselves. Uh, I came to the conclusion of being pro-life many, many years ago whenever I looked into what abortion does and how violent and horrible it is and what these human beings suffer at the hands of abortion. And um, just in more research years and becoming more knowledgeable on the subject, it has only pushed me to be more pro-life. And uh, my focus is more on a social standard of making abortion unthinkable, but I do also Advocate for making abortion illegal. I am against all abortion um, from the very, very beginning of fertilization all the way up through birth. I do not think that there are any exceptions to that rule. And that's pretty much where I stand on the issue.
2: You bet. Thank you very much for that. And then we will kick it over to Ray for her opening as well. Thanks so much for being here, Ray.
3: Yeah no thank you um for having me on James and obviously hello everyone to who, li- who is listening so my introduction is going to be a little bit long i'll try to keep it under 3 minutes but we'll see how that actually plays out so I'll just, I'll, I'll try to connect the position that I've taken to kind of like a broader societal issue because I don't want to argue just the issue by itself in isolation because I don't believe that reproductive choice is an issue that exists in isolation for everything else. So I'll try to get into that. So as you all know, my name is Ray Murasame. I'm a cultural commentator and political analyst from the perspective of third worldism tendency makes me an advocate of post-colonial feminism and pan-asianism now this is particularly real for me because I'm from a family that are east Asian diaspora in the Americas and I currently live in the UK so as I said before I operate a live stream channel known as stage 501 uh, my live stream is focused on current events and I always talk to people from all sides of the spectrum I'm also a systems analyst working for the def- in the defense sector so um, I just want to say before I go any further that I anticipate there will be trolls in the chat so I just want to address them very quickly so the trolls who will assuredly be showing up in the live chat. This has become a bit of a fixture in the online space recently, which is people show up to troll me on the war in Afghanistan for some reason. So my answer to those trolls when they do show up is that I do not regret Afghanistan. and I take my own advocacy for feminism very seriously. So I do not support making peace with the Taliban. So when the Trump supporters show up to have that argument with me, this is not what we're talking about today. So they need to stay out of the chat with that. So anyway, back to the topic, which is actually abortion. So people may be wondering why I happened to be the one to address this topic when it came up, instead of any of the other women out there who could have also addressed it. James Kunz put out a tweet on his account a few days ago saying that KE Fellows wanted to have this conversation about abortion. And I replied to it via DM by saying that if any asking if anyone else was volunteering yet. And since no one else had volunteered, I figured, well, this is my chance, right? So I figured it would be an interesting conversation, even though I'm usually from like, the more old-fashioned voice-only side of live streaming and content creation. But... I decided to jump in it. So, um, hopefully, we'll have a good discussion. I think everyone will come away having seen each other's perspective. And I'll obviously try to be fair. I won't attack. I won't talk over my opponent. I'm not trying to fight her or anything. I'm just having a conversation. So, uh, before I get started, you know, I'm aware that a large section of the audience are now hearing me for the first time. So, they may not know what my economic views are, particularly since I have the word progressive appended next to my name and people have some assumptions as to what progressives believe on economic issues which are intimately tied up with the reproductive choice issue so i'm just going to go over some of that very quickly as well so i'll explain the basics of my policy preferences because they're important to the debate Um, i support free trade free trade is a great strategy for growth because if the aim is to develop your country then lowering tariff and non-tariff barriers and allowing low-income countries to receive fdi and tech transfers letting them export their way to growth. This makes abundant sense. Pan-Asianism and other forms of pan-regionalism, which I support, these are a utilization of something that's referred to as the uh, Bergston-Zoelic theory, which is when you sign um, regional FTAs, it incentivizes others to sign trade deals so they don't get left out. And this particular form of regional identity politics then creates a global free trade um, acceleration and prosperity for all. So, just putting that on the table, I am not. I am not against flourishing economies, and in fact, my position on abortion is actually connected to flourishing economies, as I will as, as I will describe. So, you know, developing countries can't compete in industrial production with countries that have more modern institutions, citizens with higher educational levels, developed infrastructure, and so on. To break free from being just a low cost provider of raw materials, whether mineral or agricultural, this is a long process, and so I think we need to do what's necessary to expedite that process. Um, a lot of that process involves having control over your own reproductive life, because if you're bound, just bound to the home and you're unable to sort of break out of this reproductive cycle of just being someone's wife, then you're never able to really grow your economy in the way that you're supposed to. So, I mean, I would say to activists in the in in the West, I mean, and this is on the left and the right, because, you know, they all have different. Um, strictures they would like to impose. So, you know, some people wanna impose restrictive environmental, social, reproductive laws, and so on. Where do they get the right to tell people in the third world what they can and cannot do to satisfy the basic needs of their people? So like telling people they have no right to a highway or to extract gas to fund social programs, or they have no right to universal healthcare service along the lines of the South Korean single payer model, or that contraception, abortion, and other forms of reproductive health should be denied to them. This means telling people whose economies that are only now developing, that they have no right to actually develop their economy or to fight poverty or to develop a strong and progressive culture so i don't know you know it's one of those things where i don't know from from where they're deriving this authority to make these pronunciations right so i didn't want to drag this this on uh this introduction on for too long because otherwise i'll be going into topics that should be discussed in the actual section so i'll, I'll be good on that and not like start forcing my arguments into the introduction uh but you know these are things i am going to bring up uh, the other thing I'd say is, I, is, yeah, I guess this will be the end of the introduction. This is probably a, a good place for me to actually stop for an introduction. Otherwise, I'm going to be moving into my arguments. But my position on abortion is that I'm pro-choice because I support reproductive choice for women because it is economically the right choice for a developing nation to, to take.
2: You bet. Thank you very much, Ray. We will now jump into open conversation. Appreciate both of you being here.
1: Thanks for having me. Um, I find it really interesting because I, I'm not an economist, and I'm not nearly as well educated as Ray is on um, economies, particularly third world issues. Um, I think my my issue with abortion really more stems uh, from a, a moral standpoint, and I think that we're, you know, openly going to disagree on that. I don't think that we should be sacrificing human life for the sake of growing an economy. And I do think that if we were able to sit down and like think through the process, that there could be another way for these economies to grow and flourish without sacrificing human life to do so.
3: Okay. Well, I mean, how would you, I'll present to you, I'll, I'll present to you a classic, a classic instance of this problem. Um, right. So, you know, the war in Vietnam, after it had ended and they had used, um, you know, the the American side had used Asian orange when they were fighting in the jungles, which polluted a lot of the groundwater and, and the environment, which resulted in, in Vietnamese people being saddled with, you know, random fetuses that had, Obvious um, birth defects which would make you know for for children who are going to grow up into adults It would be economically non-productive I mean would you say that it'd be morally wrong for those people to abort the fetuses which are obviously detected as being deformed ones? And then essentially take the economic hit as a consequence of that which would be more moral.
1: I Don't think that one is more moral than the other. I I do believe that what happens to cause those deformities in fetuses is absolutely abhorrent, and it should have never happened. Um, As a pro-life activist, I I actually consider myself more of a consistent life um, activist. I'm very anti-war. But it is not up to what you would consider living human beings. People that are on the other side of the birth canal that can process reason, it is not up for us to decide whose life is worth living. And we can't base our value or the value of other humans on what they provide for us, even economically.
3: So, I mean, your position would be then that Vietnam should sacrifice their developmental goals in order to in order to remain in the position of being the most moral, but then they would um, be subject once again to market forces across the world in which they would be not selected for the productive work that's being that's being distributed by, by a global trade, and they would lose out as a consequence. So, like, the entire nation would be poorer because of the fact that they're unable to make the pragmatic choice if, if they were to do things your way.
1: Well, I mean... To be morally consistent, do you believe that it would be morally okay to kill people that are on the others that have been born that are not contributing to the economy that are holding back their economic process? Um, People that you consider human beings with rights because they've been born. They don't provide anything to their economy. They actually hold it back. Would it be morally acceptable to kill those people as well?
3: Well, I mean, people have already made ties with those individuals and they're legally recognized as being, as, 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 as having human rights, obviously, and being, um, and and being actual persons. So that is different. So obviously I would not support violating people's human rights in that way. But, you know, when you're, when, when you're having the conversation of like, where do you place personhood as beginning? It strikes me that placing personhood at the beginning of conception consigns you to essentially a dead end that if anything is wrong with the fetus or if, or if there are any reasons as to uh, as as to why that fetus should not be there, for example, let's say in the case of um, of sexual assault, if there's any reason as to why that fetus should not be there, then there's nothing you can do about it if you've actually placed um, the the limitation on abortion.
1: Yes, but where do our human rights come from? Like, what is it? What is so special about birth? What's so magical about passing through the birth canal that suddenly grants humans? The rights that born humans have, and grants them the idea of personhood.
3: I mean, you'd have to say that that is the that is the state essentially making the decision that they're going to recognize life from a particular point, which is when the the um, the the child which has been born is no longer directly connected to 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 the woman, is no longer dependent solely on her for its survival. So, I mean, I'm guessing that's where they would be placing it.
1: But it's not necessarily the state doing so. I mean, it is a scientific fact that a brand new, unique human being begins to exist at the point of fertilization. So why does... A human being,
3: yes, but but, but how do you get... Well, actually, yeah, you can show me this, because this is the question I wanted to ask you, actually. How do you get from saying that, okay, a developing fetus... Is a human being, but how do you jump from there to now we should confer full personhood rights onto that developing human being?
1: Because if we say that some human beings do not deserve rights based on things like location, size, development, then that in order to remain consistent with that argument, we have to say that size, location, development also impedes us, it gives us the rights to take personhood away from certain born individuals as well.
3: Okay, but no, like like, why would you think that that would be the case? Like why, why would it be that if we apply this in this particular place, that it has to automatically apply in this other way?
1: Because it would be inconsistent otherwise. If you say that a fetus does not have the right to be recognized as a person and therefore have all the human rights that a person does based on the fact that it is dependent solely on its mother for life and support and to keep it alive, then that argument can be taken and used against people that are born and living today.
3: And well I mean if they are if, if they are born and living today though, the entire society can actually take care of that, can actually take care of that person. They're not there's no it's okay, let me put it this way. When when it is when when it is um, you know someone who is pregnant and carrying the child then they are the only one who can sustain that. Where does the obligation on on that person come to keep the child? Like, from where does that obligation come? I mean, from a libertarian even from a libertarian perspective, where does that obligation proceed from?
1: That obligation proceeds from the expectation of the human the human being. We have that obligation even after birth. A woman, yes, society can take that responsibility away from a woman, but. There are certain situations and circumstances where that obligation remains. A woman can relinquish her responsibility to her born child, but there are certain regulations and obligations in place for her to relinquish that responsibility. A woman can't leave her infant in the middle of the woods and just say, you know, I'm relinquishing my responsibility. Society should take care of this infant now. If a woman doesn't have the ability for XYZ reasons, to just relinquish her born children to society to take care of them. And she just leaves them and they die because they need someone to take care of them. They need someone to help them sustain life because they cannot do it on their own. They're not developed enough to do that for themselves and the child dies. Will we place the responsibility of that child's death on the mother? Those obligations remain in place well after birth. So I don't understand why the obligations are deemed unnecessary whenever she's carrying the child. But if we
3: extend... If we extend this to its logical conclusion, doesn't this like completely undo the very underpinnings of libertarianism as well, given that someone could make the similar argument for like, why isn't everyone in the entire country given automatic housing, which is paid for by every member of society, because without the housing, they may suffer and or slash um, die, etc, etc. I mean, someone could make that exact same argument, but just extend it out to the whole society until you have essentially no market whatsoever.
1: Yes, but when we're talking about abortion in particular and how these obligations extend not just to society, but particularly for the mother herself, because a child that she bears is her responsibility, and so she relinquishes that responsibility to society. These are human beings that are physically, emotionally, and mentally incapable of caring for themselves, so that obligation remains in place simply because the human being that we are discussing has no ability to meet the obligations that we are imposing on them. For example, a fetus cannot – you can't expect a fetus to take care of itself, not just because it's not developed enough to do so, but because they have no understanding of the obligation placed on them to care for themselves, otherwise they will die. That is true well after birth for human beings. I have two toddlers. Neither one of them would be capable of caring for themselves. If I left them alone and decided I didn't want to care for them anymore, that they were imposing on me, and I just left them, they would eventually die.
3: Okay. So, I mean, all right, we'll come back to that. The next question, the the other question I have for you then is, um, do you accept that consequentialist arguments on this issue are actually strong because of the fact that there is an entire society in which, um, in 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 which a failure to enact um, liberalized abortion laws will lead to adverse effects. I mean, I'll give you an example here, and I can actually put the link in the chat if anyone um, needs it. But it's from BMJ slash and the the. Well, it's actually a long link. I'll put it in the chat later on. But I'll just I'll just quickly read these three paragraphs that they have here because I found that they was pretty much summarised the position pretty well. And then tell me like the ways in which you disagree with it when I get to the end, I guess. So. Quoting from them, a pregnancy has short-term and long-term direct and indirect costs for women. These may be exacerbated when the pregnancy is unintended. Individual circumstances influence whether abortion provides a better outcome for women than bearing a child at that time, and women give many reasons for having an abortion. For example, in Bangladesh, women and their husbands describe challenging life circumstances, such as poor health, poverty, that influence their decisions to terminate. These examples from Latin America, Africa, in Asia, bolster a case for making a concerted effort to document the cost for women, households, and societies of seeking and obtaining abortions. Economists have paid some attention to the relationship between abortion and various economic outcomes at the meso-levels and macro-levels. Much of this literature focuses on the economic impact of abortion legalization, rather than the pecuniary cost of abortion. Several studies have linked the legalization of abortion to increases in women's labor supply. For example, Callist found that by reducing unwanted births, legalization of abortion in the USA led to increased labor force participation rates for women, especially for single black women. Bloom et al. took this point one step further and found that lower fertility, instrumented by the legalization of abortion, increases women's labor supply and contributes positively and significantly to gross domestic product growth. GDP growth. Not only do abortion regulations impact women's labor supply, but they also affect occupational mobility. In particular, targeted restrictions on abortion providers, also known as TRAP in the US, laws in the US, make it more difficult for women to seek an abortion and are linked to increased job lock. Consequently, women living in states with trap laws are less likely to move between occupations and into higher paying occupations. The authors also found that public funding for medically necessary abortions is associated with full-time occupational mobility for women. The legalization of abortion, this is the final paragraph for this. The legalization of abortion is also linked to various measures of children's human capital. Several statistical studies have found positive Mm. outcomes for children born after the legalization of abortion. In a widely cited and somewhat controversial study for the USA, Donahue and Levitt found that crime rates across states appear to have dropped as a result of Roe versus Wade. Children who were
2: born... Just a. I mean, as long as you're okay with giving Ray plenty of time to respond to, or I should say Kay, enough time to respond to all these points, just because it's a
3: lot. Yes, I'll give her as much time as as, as she needs. Yeah, I'm going to be totally fair on that. And I won't interrupt when she does either. So I'm about to finish up. It's just two more sentences, basically. Um... Children who were born unwanted before the legalization of abortion grew up in more disadvantaged households, and they also grew up to be more disadvantaged as adults. With similar reasoning, Anat et al. found that U.S. children born after the Supreme Court's 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling were more likely to graduate from college, less likely to be welfare recipients or single parents. Children's outcomes may have improved on average because they were more likely to be born into a household in which they were wanted. Romania's abortion ban is associated with worse educational outcomes and labor market achievements of children born after the ban, and in sub-Saharan Africa, abortion law liberalization is linked to greater parental investment in girls' schooling, with the rationale that access to abortion lowers the likelihood of a girl dropping out of school in the event of an unplanned pregnancy, end quote. So, like, the the benefits seem to be copious.
1: Yes, and I, I have actually, I actually read... That exact link, um, and I do encourage people that are pro-life to read it. And kind, it is very challenging to a lot of people that are pro-life that really don't have a handle on why exactly they are pro-life. I've talked to a number of pro-life activists that have read this study, and uh, kind of come out scratching their heads because they really weren't prepared for it, the discussion that is in this article. This is actually the reason one of the many reasons why a few years ago I started identifying as a feminist because I I am of the full belief that societies, instead of adapting and changing, particularly, I mean, I'm most knowledgeable of abortion issues in the United States because I am in the United States, particularly in the US, uh, abortion was offered as a band-aid solution for a society that wasn't willing to change how our business model was structured to make it more inclusive for women whenever they enter the workforce. So instead of adapting so that women who are biologically capable of getting pregnant, whether intended or otherwise, can hold a job, can move up through their careers, even if somehow they become pregnant unintentionally, they offered abortion as this kind of Band-Aid solution to and kind of marketed it as this is what you need in order to be equal to men in the workforce. So I'm not denying that there are economic benefits, particularly for women, whenever we legalize abortion. But my argument is that instead of offering the Band-Aid solution of killing other human beings, we should be willing to restructure how these countries are run so that it is more inclusive to women who shouldn't feel like they are less because they are biologically capable of getting pregnant.
3: Okay, I mean, I can actually meet you halfway on that. I can say that I agree with the point you just made there about, I mean, cause I used, I deliberately use the term at the beginning of this reproductive choice. And the reason I say this is because for people who do want to have children on purpose, and are intending to do so, but are dissuaded from doing so because of the fact that the system that we're currently labouring under, um, you know, disincentivizes um, childbirth in in a number of ways because of the way that businesses are set up. You just described it perfectly. So I'd be able to meet you halfway on that and say that I would be okay with a world in which feminist policies are enacted to make workplaces more friendly for for women who want to carry out what is a natural biological function of giving birth to children. So I can meet you halfway on that. It's just that when I that in Reproductive Choice, I would still leave open the door for abortion, in the case that people really want to choose it, so I'm I'm okay with having with having these modifications made. It's just that, and I even agree with you that I think it would um it would it would make the situation a lot better because of the fact that then you'd know that people who have chosen to have abortions are doing so entirely of their own choice and not in, and not because um, their boss pressured them into doing it or because they knew they would be fired if they if if they did not and so on and so forth. So the level of abortion would probably decrease slightly if 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 those things were enacted so i can meet you halfway on that
1: and i i hold this not just for the the feminist idea that our our business structure in many countries is built in a way that purposefully excludes women it was built for the sole purpose of men being the sole and only breadwinners and women being mm. in the. Home and they were unwilling to bend that but i also think that abortion is offered as a band-aid solution for m- most of the issues that are listed whenever women go to seek abortions I think that we should be offering other solutions to these problems like poverty for example you know abortion doesn't prevent or end poverty you know we're still seeing impoverished neighborhoods offering women the choice of killing a child whether she wants she deeply wants that child or not for a chance for her to get out of poverty or avoid going into poverty is a band-aid solution I think that as a society, we can offer women something that is better, actual solutions to the problems that they are facing whenever they have unplanned pregnancies instead of saying, well, we'll kill your child for you, but that's well, really what we can do for
3: you. Well, I mean, this is why I meet you halfway because I'll say that that we can do both in the sense that in the sense that these these um these problems can be addressed from the social policy side while leaving that in place for the event in which it is necessary. So, for example, when we're talking about sexual assaults, so or we're talking about um overbearing husbands who insist on imposing their will, and then women have to essentially correct that will by negating it after the fact. In some in, in some cases, the door needs to be left open for that kind of thing to be able to occur. I think, at least, and. And um, not only that, but simply having the option available, even if it is not being used by a particular person, it still benefits the, um, the, the the prospects for women because of the fact that the door being open for that to hypothetically happen deters the kind of controlling behavior which men sometimes engage in. Because then, think about it this way, and it's going to sound slightly callous when I say it this way, so I'm expecting the chat will probably explode or something, but think about it this way, if you're married to a guy and the guy keeps insisting that he can essentially, you know, utilize you as a way to produce as many children as he might want, even if you disagree with the number of children he's trying to produce and at the time at which those children should be born, if he knows that there is a hypothetical chance you could actually just undermine him by aborting the, the the fetus at like two weeks, for example, right? Using plan B or something like this. Um, if he knows that that is a possibility, that deters him from engaging in those activities because he would know that you could actually, you know, you could bring the fire on that issue. Very similar to the arguments that people would make about the second amendment, for example. If they know that the second amendment exists, it deters people from, from um, taking certain actions. Quite similarly, if there's an abortion um, you know, capability that exists hypothetically that you could conceivably access it alters the behavior of men and makes them more compliant with, with with the kind of um with the kind of just social relations that we want. Even if you choose not to use the abortion services,
1: do you if, agree that that could be the case? Do you have like is this is this coming from like an opinion or is this like statistics? Is this based in like statistics that having abortion access will Determine men from being sexually aggressive or sexual, uh, be willing to sexually assault them. There, there is
3: a, there is a, there is a, a study. Although people may say it's from a biased source, it's from iwpr.org, which is blatantly a feminist advocacy group. So I'm sure that like some people in the chat will say, oh, well, now we have to discount. It. But I'll, I can, um, I can quickly read the paragraph for it, and obviously okay. I'll give you the time, and obviously I'll give you the time to respond. Yeah, I would actually love to hear it. Okay. So it goes as follows, quote, there are multiple potential pathways through which abortion may affect women's economic outcomes. The first is through lowering fertility, which has several direct economic implications. Having fewer children increases a woman's ability to participate. This is all stuff that's been said before, but they'll get to the point um, shortly. Um, Holding household income constant, an additional child reduces the resources available for other family members and can push a household close to or below the poverty line. I'll skip past these economic arguments because they've literally just been said in the previous link and I'll just get to the point of where they're going. Um, mm Yeah. Abortion access may also affect economic factors through pathways other than fertility, including changing women's expectations about their ability to control their fertility. In response to these changes in expectations, women may take different decisions about their education, the timing of marriage and family formation, and their careers. Additionally, increases in women's control over their reproductive outcomes may empower women within their households, changing their access to resources and ability to control their own economic paths. These shifts may lead to a broader impact on women at the population level, even for those who never experienced the unintended pregnancy?
1: Okay. I mean, I will not argue that because I I don't have any evidence in front of me to make an argument. I don't want to make an argument that I don't have facts to back it up with. So I'm not going to say that it is not possible that abortion changes aggressive sexual behavior in men. I will say that whenever... From my perspective, because there – I do have facts to back this up, that abortion has consistently been used by abusive men um, as a power – as kind of an abusive power. um, You see women that have been forced into abortions by abusive partners or by men in their lives. Um, so I can I can make the argument that abortion can also be used against women um, by abusive partners. I can't really argue against the possibility that it kind of drives men's aggression away whenever it comes to them wanting to force impregnation on a partner. I will argue that I don't believe that abortion is a viable solution whenever it comes to abusive partners. I think that, again, we can offer women better than saying, if your partner forcibly impregnates you, we'll kill the otherwise innocent human being that had absolutely no part in that abuse. Um, And overwhelmingly, these women are sent back into the arms of that abusive partner, especially by our most well-known abortion industry here is Planned Parenthood and they have been caught covering up rape, marital abuse, uh molestation, sex trafficking, um, things like that. So I can only argue with what I know. Um I don't support the idea that we should be using abortion to kind of as a band-aid solution for women that are in abusive relationships. I think that we should be having more programs that help women out of these abusive situations instead of here's an abortion and sending her back to be abused by that same partner over and over and over again.
3: Well, I mean this is another situation where I can definitely meet you halfway on that which is again I, obviously I would support the programs in order to make sure that people are removed from these situations if, if you know unlawful activities is occurring because obviously you know sexual assault um, that's you know marital rape is still a thing. Right. So in all of these countries, you know, you introduce a law that says you know marital rape is bad and it will be basically um, prosecuted whenever it is found out. I mean, on, on what you said on Planned Parenthood, I mean, I, I haven't actually seen the data for myself, but obviously I will I will trust that what you're saying is correct here. And so, um, if it is so, what I would say is there needs to be a regulation which would obligate Planned Parenthood to disclose to authorities. Um, some of the contents of what they are told in the in, in these interview rooms, if those um, things which they are told contravene United States law, because. I mean, I do find it disturbing that if someone, um, you know, were to sit down in Planned Parenthood and were to have a conversation and say that, you know, their husband is abusing them and that this is why they're here in order to, in, in order to, uh, you know, have the abortion procedure done, that the procedure would be done and then, like, no further action would be taken. That information should be passed to the, um, to the authorities as soon as, basically, in order to make sure that, you know, everything is dealt with. And obviously, you don't then send the woman back into the same environment after having disclosed this information either, because then, of course, you're putting her at greater risk. So there should be a path, a pipeline, as it were, to essentially remove her from that abusive situation. So again, I meet you halfway on that. I'm not against the revision of these of, of these programs or the implementation of these laws.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just, I think, you know, I take it a step further because I see fetuses, embryos, blastocysts, you know, whatever stage of development that they're in, I see them as human beings. And if we're going to View them as human, as the human beings that they are. That fetus, black embryo, that preborn human, had no part in the abuse that the woman suffered. They had no part in the marital rape, uh, rape outside of marriage, sexual assault, so on and so forth. They had no part in it. So whenever we're offering abortion as a solution in cases of rape, what we're essentially doing is we're taking an innocent human being that had no part in that crime, that horrible violation of the woman's rights, um, and we're giving the death penalty to that human being. And in many cases, especially in the United States, the actual perpetrator, the rapist, goes free or suffers very, very little or minor consequences. For actually violating a woman's rights in such a horrible way. And the fetus suffered the brunt of that by having their right to life taken from them.
3: Well, I mean, I agree with you on the on 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 the necessity of being able to actually prosecute these people when they commit these um, when they commit these acts, and doubly so if if you know it creates the kind of situation you just described, where you know a lot of a lot of effort has to be undergone. There are women who are obviously going through incredible, in- incredibly difficult decisions that they have to make. Um, there is. A fetus which is being removed from existence, which some people may say, as you have said, that you know, you you view it as an actual person. And so, you know, there is there is something to be said about that. Um you know we need to um you know i would totally support the idea obviously that you know these men should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law and they shouldn't be allowed to constantly wriggle away and get away with causing this sort of massive societal devastation on a consistent basis and i think the way to actually go about doing that is you've got to foster this um you know this culture of of openness and reporting and the only way that we can really do that is to kind of like lean in to to a lot of these movements that have been calling for accountability i mean hashtag me too for example has been given like a bad rap by a lot of commentators on the right, particularly. And I, I sort of looked through your Twitter account, you're obviously not agreeing with the people on the right, because I see you quite frequently criticizing them for, for absolutely ridiculous things that they have done. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. So I mean, you know, you have some good content that's going on in that regard that I agreed with. So I think we can both agree there that, you know, if, if we leaned into this Me Too thing a little bit more, we would we would lessen a lot of the a lot of the problems involved here. Because, you know, when I came into this this um this this uh this conversation, I was I was definitely not coming in to say that we should increase the level of abortion arbitrarily or something like this like I don't mind if people make the make the informed choice to not have abortions if they don't want them. So my my aim and agenda is not to arbitrarily just increase the level of it or to propose that it is a band-aid solution to absolutely all problems. I just don't want to close the door on the on the existence of this option if that is the last and only thing which is which, which they can um which they can bring themselves to do with at that, at that point. But I do support all of the things that you said about essentially shaping society in such a way that that the solution to every problem doesn't magically end up being that one.
1: Yeah. And I think and I, and
3: I do agree with you that there is a lot that, that that men as a group have to answer for in terms of the in, in terms of the structures that they have created in this regard. I mean, I don't even you know it's one of those things where. Um, thinking about thinking about like even people who are so blatantly guilty who are getting away with things for a long time like um let's talk about um what was his name harvey weinstein or or jeffrey epstein for example i mean these were people who are known to the authorities and it was known widely that they were committing all kinds of crimes and they were just essentially skating by on a consistent basis and obviously i'm not i'm not going to sort of just single out the united states for criticism there there are wide sways of the third world in which men are just walking around doing things and like the entire town knows that this individual is a predator or something and then no one takes any action against it and so you know as women we need to come together basically and say you know these people need to be placed under under you know strict surveillance there needs to be i suppose you can even say perhaps more cctv more something i don't know what it would have to be in order to basically nail these people so they can't continue to get away with this stuff yeah
1: and that's why i said at the beginning in my introduction that. I am more of an activist, whenever it comes to abortion, I more advocate on the level of social change because we can make abortion illegal tomorrow and we're still going to have structural issues in place. So many hurdles that women are going to have to get over in order to be in a place where they can function without having the band-aid solution of abortion. So whenever I advocate against abortion, advocate on making abortion more of an unthinkable, changing society in such a way that women don't have to even consider that they need to have an abortion, especially if that's not something that they actually want to do. You see overwhelming statistics of women saying that they didn't really want to have an abortion. They didn't want to have to go through that. But there are so many societal structures in place to where they felt like they had no other option. And I think that it would be more beneficial for the pro-life movement to get behind tearing down those structural barriers that women have had to hurdle over. You know, the whole reason for Roe versus Way back in 1973 is because women were so tired of having to fight these hurdles and women and men refusing to adapt and change the societal structures to be more inclusive of them, so they did what they thought that they had to do in order to gain equality on a societal and cultural level. So I think that as a pro-lifer, it is much more beneficial to be an advocate for social change uh, change in our society and our culture to make abortion something that doesn't need to be an option.
3: Okay, I mean, I can, I can, I can totally understand the 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 argument you're building there. Um, the 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 only thing that I would bring, or well, the primary thing I should say because it's not the only thing, but the primary thing that I would I would I would bring as a as a sort of a counter to that is that. What you'll be doing there is redefining what the phrase pro-life has meant up until this point. Because up until this point, pro-life has largely been like a preserve of kind of like the uh the social conservative right who are exactly against the kind of um the kind of reforms to society that you're talking about. All of these progressive reforms, they're firmly dead set against them. In fact, some of these um some of the conservative pro- um, pro-life um, people are so conservative that they will even try to get you prosecuted for a miscarriage miscarriage. miscarriage because they have written down the law in such a way that now it becomes suddenly your task to prove that it was a miscarriage and not an abortion so these are like unintended consequences and so on so like if i were to if i were to put this to you as a question like how would you if you're going to build a pro-life movement that was separate from from that kind of cultural milieu how would you go about differentiating yourself from them and building something that does not end up being co-opted by those people immediately
1: I think that I would approach it a similar way to how I approach labeling myself as a pro-life feminist. You know, feminism has a very, very big, horrible stigma around it, is particularly on the right. I got a lot of pushback from – you know, I started as a traditional Republican conservative and have since drifted more center, and particularly on social issues, I am actually quite more left-leaning than I used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But – it's reclaiming a a label that has been misused and abused in my opinion you know when people people make the argument so often that you know to be pro life is just simply to oppose abortion and if you typed in the definition like pro life definition into a search engine that is what you would come up with it's somebody that opposes abortion but i think that we as a, as a movement as a people need to understand that as pro-life activism adapts, we have to adapt with it. Our society is changing, and pro-life activism as a whole should change with it. We have come to realize that simply opposing abortion isn't enough anymore. There were things that we had to do and change to make headway in our movement in order to be more accepting. The idea of, you know, loving both mother and child, the love them both hashtag is fairly new. Like in the last five years, people on the pro-life side have started adapting that. And it's been very, very successful. Women that are scared and are running to these abortion clinics out of fear of you know, societal consequences, they need to have somebody there that loves and cares about them and that they know is going to be there for them. Regardless, you know, being inclusive of post-abortive women in our movement um, has been widely successful. And the refusal to adapt to that, to being more than just somebody that opposes abortion, um, is going to make way more headway in our movement and what we're trying to achieve than just simply saying, well, I oppose abortion and not doing anything beyond that. It's kind of where the idea of, you know, you're only pro-life up until the baby is born and then just kind of tap out. That is a problem with a lot of people that claim to be pro life particularly on the further right side, conservative, traditional Republican side. Um, they're not willing to kind of adapt and address the societal issues that women face that is driving them to the abortion clinics. They just don't want them there. And they don't want, abortion is kind of the thing that you don't talk about. It's this horrible evil. We don't talk about it. If you do it, you're a horrible, terrible person. And that's kind of where their activism ends. And having people in that mindset has been constantly, like we take three steps forward and they're pulling us two steps back. So we're only making one step at a time because these people are refusing to adapt. And I'm going to be perfectly honest, I was blacklisted by a lot of people in the pro-life movement about a couple years back because I was tired of standing by and seeing this toxic idea of what pro-life activism should be hindering our movement, and hindering us from saving lives and saving women and giving them more opportunity and better options. So I think that. Whenever it comes to changing what it means to be pro-life, it really is going to come down to calling out the people that have those toxic opinions.
3: Okay. I mean, that's, that is, um, I would say that's an, that's an admirable, um, position to have, to have taken within the context of what's happening, um. I mean, I would I would hope that you would be successful in in, in being able to convince them of this. I mean, there are probably plenty there. I think there are plenty of people perhaps in the chat who who are on the progressive side who have been saying that they don't anticipate that you would be successful in being able to convince them to to behave in a way different from how they have behaved so far. But I mean, obviously, I would still I would still give you the um, I would still give you the credit from my side that, you know, you're you're putting in the effort to try to uh, to try to change their outlook on this at the very least. um. I mean, a lot of things would have to change in in their philosophy in order to basically bring them to the point where they'd be willing to support these 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 social reforms. Because I mean, they have a lot of economic stances that involve not wanting to provide the services to people because they're constantly going about talking about how these things need to be cut in order to in order to somehow you know prevent the country from getting into debt, quote unquote, and you know all of the other the usual narratives that people bring as to why they don't want to expend or do the outlays for social services. So, like, how how would you approach it from the economic angle of basically, you know, bringing them to a point where they would be willing to actually spend this money? Would you essentially go around balancing it by saying that, like, if you don't want... Um, you know this 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 practice of abortion to continue at the rate that it's been going then you're gonna have to make a concession on these economic issues that you've been holding on to for the past 45 years 50 years etc cetera, etc cetera. would that be kind of your strategy where you'd present it to them in that way that either you can have this or you can have that
1: yeah and I mean, I have done that, and it's – unfortunately, it's not wildly successful. Um, there is a large part of the pro-life movement. I mean, whenever you look at very traditional Republican conservatives, they're very, very set in their ways. They continue this vicious cycle. And I think it really stems – like, it boils down to our our elections and our elected officials. You know, we, we're seeing – a small kind of steady and gradual kind of walk away from mainstream pro-life activism, the kind of more fringe activism in the pro-life movement that I am a part of is growing consistently on a continual basis. It's getting bigger. People that are more center or left-leaning, consistent life ethic activists that are also you know anti-war and oppose people like Donald Trump, which is a, a really, really big thing whenever you say that you're a pro-life activist and you don't support their supposedly pro-life president you get a lot of pushback from the mainstream pro-life movement whenever you voice that distaste for their elected officials that we don't see as being beneficial to our movement and what we're trying to the culture that we're trying to create. But what it's going to stem down to is more and more people are walking away from this mainstream idea of what pro-life activism is and what we need to do to accomplish our goals. And eventually, they're not going to have the support that they have anymore to just continue in this cycle of saying that they want to end abortion, but really not putting any action behind preventing women from feeling they need to have abortions.
3: Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned Donald Trump here as well. And I mean, yeah, I've seen this um this dynamic actually developing. There was even a point actually at which the Adam Smith Institute basically called out the way in which um Donald Trump had approached this and his supporters had approached this. Because you know, they re implemented something called the global gag rule, which is where they're not allowed to talk about like abortion as part of um as part of reproductive health. They're not allowed to like address a whole variety of things that are kind of like in the same constellation and in some cases they're not even to address like basic birth control and stuff like that where they essentially withdrew that funding from like a number of developing countries where that funding ordinarily would not exist in the first place so it was essentially being provided by the united states which i mean it's not a very optimal position to be in because it's not a very independent position to have if you're if if you're a developing country but i mean that was how it was so the global gag rule apparently by 2020 which we're in now would have been responsible apparently for 6.5 million unintended pregnancies 2.2 million abortions 2.1 million and unsafe abortions, which is kind of like I guess worse than a regular abortion in that sense. Um 21,700 maternal deaths um, if that loss of aid was not met by other sources. So I don't know whether it was or wasn't, but that's just what the Adam Smith Institute was projecting would happen if they went along with Trump's method of addressing the issue. And so they then commented, quote, maybe this is what Trump was after. He said that women seeking abortions should face, quote, some form of punishment, but you might have hoped he would have prioritized the economy over vindictiveness. So, yeah, I mean... I get the impression that the Trump administration and their supporters did not think through what they were doing. They were kind of just making a moral grandstanding point without a consideration as to whether people, how people would actually respond to that or what the unintended outcomes of that particular choice would be. So, I mean, would you agree that they should not have gone about it that way?
1: I would agree with that. And I think that overwhelmingly, we do have the underlying issue of Personal opposition whether it be it's mostly for religious reasons because the overwhelming majority of the pro-life movement is religious I I in particular am NOT religious and I have nothing against religion or religious people, but whenever it comes to issues particularly like contraception the pro-life movement does itself a huge disservice by publicly supporting the hindrance of women being able to access contraception and things that are going to prevent them from getting pregnant in the first place and therefore possibly keeping them out of the abortion clinic i don't think exactly yeah
3: no no full agreement with you on that because i mean you would figure that if they want to reduce the incidence of abortion which again you know it's one of those things where you would prefer that So, if it's going to exist i assume you'd prefer it to be a last resort than the first one then you know they've they've essentially set up a system when they, when, when they advocate against contraception, where it just increases the probability that someone will try to seek an abortion, be it legal or non-legal.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, there are studies that are out there that, you know, do claim, and I'm not saying that they're wrong or that I disagree with them, that, you know, having access to the con- contraception doesn't lower the number of abortions that take place, but saying that women cannot have abortions because it's it's wrong to take the life of other innocent human beings, but then making a moral stance that's not at all based in science, it's just simply, this is how I feel about things and I don't like contraception and I don't think that women should have access to it, it hinders the message that we are trying to put out because it's not about your moral opinion on what women should and should not be able to access whenever it comes to preventing pregnancy.
3: Okay, very good. I mean, I agree with you on that. And it's actually refreshing to get that, that that level of agreement as well, because every single time that I've had this debate previously, it's been with, like... I mean, dare I say it? It's been with like what I would have first was like religious wackaloons. The last time I had a conversation on abortion with someone who was in the who's who in the pro-life movement, it was one of these kind of people that you were describing, where the person came on and surprised me halfway through the um halfway through the debate by springing on me the position that they never supported contraception in the first place, and I was like, what? Literally, what? So no, I'm 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 quite happy to hear that obviously that that, that you recognise this as a problem as well. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always happy to reach the middle ground agreement with people on, on on issues that will reduce the incidence of abortion in the first place because not only does it give us less things to argue over, but also it's like you know it's 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 simply less expensive and you don't have to wade as often into the into the sort of you know moral and philosophical issue of. Of, of the personhood of of, of of a blastocyst, fetus, et cetera, et cetera. Because, I mean, the disagreement is there. I think the, the, the disagreement on on the status of the fetus when it is still in the womb of a woman will continue to persist across society. There's always going to be, I think, that that divide of people who think it's one way and people who think it's the other. But one of the best ways to avoid ever having to have that argument multiple times over is to reduce the incidence of this by allowing people access to, to obviously, social services that will allow them to make um, choices within a better economy, um, you know, giving people access to contraception and so on and so forth. I mean, would you be willing to go as far as to say that if there were a single pair health system, it should cover the costs of, of contraception, if people needed it?
2: One second. Just want to let you guys know, I'll give you a chance to answer Kay, but, uh, what we will do is maybe in a few minutes we'll go into the Q and A. So just want to give you a heads up and floor is yours again. I
1: mean, as, as a libertarian, I I think that whenever it comes to things like healthcare, I don't think that the government does very well in regulating that well, but I do think that there are things that we can do that would make contraception more readily accessible and more affordable to people that need it. I think I fully am supportive of contraception being over the counter. I think that it's ridiculous that I have to go to my doctor, get a prescription, go and have that prescription filled just to get, basic contraception. I think that we can do better about informing women about the potential problems that they're going to face if they're on contraception for long periods of time. I think mm-hmm. that society, we need to be more invested in giving women better options about contraception that don't have such harmful side effects. Um, but that is like another issue that is, that should not at all be tied to the abortion debate. Whether or not okay. women should have access to contraception is not something that abortion act anti-abortion activists or pro-life activists should be discussing in the realm of abortion being wrong because they're two separate issues. And whenever they try to blur those lines and say that we're going to have the conversation about abortion being wrong and we're also going to say that women shouldn't have, it's morally wrong for women to take contraception, Mm. they are muddying the waters and they are muddying up the the message that the pro-life movement is trying to put out is that you know, we are fighting against abortion. We should not be fighting against women's rights to have contraception.
3: Okay. And you know, just before we go to the Q&A session, because I know that um, that James is asking us to kind of wind it down a little, I, I saw that in the chat, some people are like criticizing you because they think that in the response you just gave to me, that you're endorsing additional regulations even though you're a libertarian. But my understanding of what you just said is that you're actually supporting deregulation of the, of the system of acquiring contraception. So I don't understand how the chat managed to misunderstand that. But I mean, from my understanding of it, I think that you're entirely consistent on what you just said there.
1: Yeah, I get, I get misinterpreted whenever they, they like, to, people like to attack me on being a libertarian and having certain opinions, but I think whenever it comes to things like birth control, um, I don't think that it's at all a libertarian stance to take that we should have the regulations that we have in place whenever it comes to accessing basic contraception.
3: Okay, so... Happy to meet you on that one. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where we both agree literally on that issue. Because I, w- I would support a deregulation as well. If you're saying that people have to go and tr- in the US, if you're saying that people have can't just buy it over the counter and they have to go all over the place to get prescriptions and so on, then obviously I, I think that that's completely ridiculous. And yeah, that should be deregulated. People should be able to make that choice over the counter without having to like consult with 15 different authorities before going there. Right. So no, I agree with you on that. And that may also lower the overall cost of the product as well without having to go through all of these intermediaries and without having the state providing that kind of incentive to drive the price up. Because I do accept the libertarian arguments that when the state enters a situation, sometimes it can paradoxically lead to the price increasing rather than decreasing on a particular product, depending on the dynamics involved in how that product is sourced. So again, I meet you halfway on that.
1: Absolutely. And you know, it's funny because I think that with this new wave of pro-life activism that I'm very very proud to be a part of, I think that there is a lot of middle ground that people on on either side of this argument can meet on and agree on. And unfortunately, a lot of that middle ground is being has been missed for so long because people in the pro-life movement and mainstream pro-life activism refusing to budge on so many of their moral issues whenever it comes to. All kinds of different things that they're so unwilling to come more to the middle on anything and meet people from the pro choice side that are defending abortion, and mm-hmm. nothing is getting accomplished. And I think that it's going to be super beneficial, and I'm excited to see the progress that we can make on both sides of the argument. You know, like we were discussing earlier about, you know, uh, marital rape, rape in general, sexual assault, holding predators accountable. You know, it doesn't matter if you support abortion or you don't support abortion. That is something that we can meet on the middle ground of and make great headway for the benefit of society as a whole, but particularly for women that is going to benefit our movement as pro-life activists and wanting to lower the rate of abortion and refusing to come to that middle ground to have these discussions with people that are pro-choice because oh, they support abortion and I'm not going to bend or even discuss because they support abortion and horrible people because they support abortion this narrative that we've been supporting for so long has caused us to lose out on making so much headway as a society
2: with that we okay. may switch into the q a unless ray i don't want to cut you short if you had something you wanted to add but otherwise we'll switch in
3: no i think this is a good point on which to uh in order to in order to make that turn so no you can go to the q a if you want
2: excellent and want to remind you folks i have put both of the links for our speakers down in the description so they're waiting for you if you'd like to learn more about them and with that we will start with the first super chat coming from steven steen who says hashtag kanye 2020 thanks for that steven good luck. Nine Tails, Cosmic Fox, thanks for your question said question for K, why does accepting the idea of forcing women to carry a child involve caring less about the impact to women than you do for an unborn child?
1: I don't think that it I have never believed that I care less about women than I do about their unborn children you know, hashtag love them both, these are two human beings, two human lives, and saying that it is morally wrong or scientifically wrong to kill one human being because they are, in a sense, they are of equal value to the woman that is carrying them, does not mean that I care about the woman less. I'm simply making the absolute moral argument that it is wrong to kill human beings fetuses, blastocysts, embryos are human beings. Therefore, it is wrong to kill them. And making that argument and being consistent with that argument and that train of thought doesn't mean that I care any less about the woman who has you know, come into this unplanned pregnancy or the burdens that she is facing due to the unplanned pregnancy. I simply believe that there are other solutions that we can offer to her that does not mean that we have to sacrifice an innocent human life to prevent her from
2: having those hardships. Got gotcha. thank you. And also, heads up, I these are actually pretty benevolent super chats tonight. So I don't think we really have anything that's uh, blood sports toward <laughs> either of you, but some of them are just hellos, or some of them are quotes. If you wanna respond, you definitely can, but you don't have to, it's up to you. Movie theory, in fact, quotes uh, Reagan saying, I notice all pro-cho- pro-choicers are already born. If you want to respond, Ray, you can, but you don't, like I said, it's up to you.
3: I mean, it just looks like that's a quip. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess people who are having conversations about anything would be already born.
2: <laughs> gotcha. It's not a
3: particularly good retort from them.
2: <laughs> Thank you. And Pragmatic Culture, thanks for your saying hello. It says, just saying hi to Ray. You have a, a buddy out there, Ray. And then... Okay,
3: I'll say hi back to him. I don't think he actually agrees with me on this topic, but hi nonetheless, Pragmatic Culture. <laughs> I know who you are.
2: And Movie Theory, thanks for your other question, says, does R, I'm guessing that must mean Ray, does R support Planned Parenthood and its racist founder?
3: Um. Well, I mean, in the course of this conversation, I've essentially, like, criticized Planned Parenthood practices to some extent, given that I accepted, um, you know, K Fellows' description of what went on inside of those rooms. Um, you know, whole cloth because I mean, she's on the scene. I expect that she would know what, what what happened in that scenario. So I did actually give him some partial criticism. I don't know about the allegation of the quote unquote racist founder. I mean, I don't know anything about that. They would have to send another super chat explaining what they mean by this. But I don't I don't know whether the founder was racist or not. I don't know how long ago that was either.
2: Gotcha, gotcha. And thank you for your super chat from Brendan Ardalene says. Referring to every stage of human life as a, quote, baby, unquote, is a cheap ploy. People arguing against abortion always resort to leaning upon emotion and shaming. Kay, if you want...
1: That's mainly why whenever I refer to these lives, I try to use either the scientific term embryo, blastocyst fetus, or pre-born human being, or simply human being, because it's just science. It's not something that we can argue about. These are human beings. A new human life begins at the moment of fertilization, and they are human beings from that moment all the way through their stages of development, through birth, and onward. They're human beings. It's just simple, basic fact. I'm not leaning, I, I don't like to lean on terms like baby, or even child too much, because I do think that it is somewhat kind of an emotional ploy like these are babies like you're killing babies and um, having been a part of that type of pro-life activism for so long I see that it is not at all beneficial to our argument to try to use emotionally manipulative language which is why I most often try to refer to more scientific language for that express purpose.
2: Gotcha and thanks for your question from this one is Movie theory says for women's rights, what about the 50% in the womb? Is that addressed to me first? I think that's my guess.
3: Okay, women's rights, what about the 50% in the womb? I assume this person is asking about what male babies, right? Is that is that where he's going with this? Um uh,
2: they said they said for women's rights question mark what about the 50 percent in the womb
3: yeah well i mean obviously i would say that i don't have anything against men and i don't think that they should be unduly harmed by the progress which is being made i mean there it it shouldn't be seen as this kind of oppositional thing where every time we make an advancing women's rights in any sphere of life it somehow comes at the expense of men in fact we are invigorating society with a with you know a greater a greater ability for everyone to meet their their you know their their desires and goals so i don't think this is harmful to men plus on top of that think, you know these these men I, who are I asking these questions th- may give may end may th- up with um up with daughters as their children later on and i think they would want them to be able to succeed in society
2: um gotcha i guess it could have been referring to men and then johan and avraham thanks for your statement said abortion is never in all caps and answers You can, you can respond if you want. You I don't mean, have to. I
3: mean, that's just literally a statement they're making there. I can't really argue with Abraham. I, obviously, I, I, I disagree with him on the idea that it's never an answer. So if it was directed at me, he's just making that statement toward me. But obviously, I don't fully agree with that.
2: Gotcha. And thank you, thank you for your question from Jamie Russell, who said Is it libertarian to allow freedom for others to influence children against our personal beliefs, i.e., religious or other, in the public square?
1: Um I am guessing that was directed towards me I as think. being in the conversation. Um I don't think that um there it, there should be I think that there should be a separation um in public spaces, you know, separation of church and state is a two-way street. If it's a public space, then, you know, influenced religion-wise should not exist. I'm fully against there being any type of religious doctrination regardless of what the religion is in our public schools, their public schools, they should be void of any kind of religious indoctrination or teaching. Um, I would extend that to all public spaces. If it's a public space, you know, do that on your own private time because the separation of church and state needs to go both ways.
2: Gotcha. And thanks for your question from crafty Keela. Appreciate it. As uh, says, forced, Pregnancy should never be a policy of civilized society. Blanket bans don't work. It just makes it later term and higher cost.
1: I mean, I, I disagree on the idea of saying forced pregnancy because that's literally not something that any pro-lifer is advocating for. Nobody is advocating that we hold women down and forcibly impregnate them. Saying that it is wrong and that we should, we as a society should not accept that there is a specific group of human beings that do not have their inalienable right to life, and therefore it is wrong. Abortion is wrong because it takes the right to life away from a specific group of human beings. Is not it's not forcing pregnancy on women?
2: Gotcha. And thanks for your question from Nine Tails, Cosmic Fox. Said K. Life goals come well after birth and are essential to quality of life so why reduce a mother's quality of life for an unborn entity with no life goals
1: um this this idea is kind of based in something that you can't prove or know it's You're saying that a woman's life is going to be less if she has an unintended pregnancy and carries that pregnancy to term, and um, that's simply not something that we can say for sure, that if a woman who falls pregnant unintentionally and gives birth to that child, that her life is somehow going to be less than it would have been had she not. Um, and we, as uh, human beings, don't get to decide whose life is worth living, whose life is more worthy of being lived than other human beings.
2: Gotcha. And thanks for your question from Matthew Steele. Good to see you again. Matthew Steele has been on here before, and he's an old-school YouTuber. He was back back in the days of, like, Nephilim Free and G-Man and and Potholer. That's how long he's been around. So Matthew Steele asks, to Kay. Considering that abortion can't realistically be banned, what do you consider to be satisfactory real-world changes that can actually be accomplished?
1: I mean, I think, I'm guessing whenever he says that it can't realistically be banned, that he's saying that there will always be some level of existence of abortion. Like, there will always be those few that result to, you know, self-induced abortions or what they refer to as back-alley abortions, even if we do all the things that we can do as a society to prevent women from feeling the need to have abortions. My argument there is that we don't think, we don't keep things legal simply to keep safe or make it easier for the people that commit things that are wrong to make it like an easier alley for them. Like we're not going to say that we're going to make robbery easier for people because it might be harmful to people that want to rob others um at the expense of somebody else's rights especially so if we say that a fetus is a human being and therefore has human rights and the most basic human rights is the right to life then it is wrong to kill these human beings and therefore all we can do as a society is put forth our best efforts to make abortion as unthinkable as possible to prevent as many women as possible from feeling to access what you would consider an unsafe, self-induced back-alley abortion.
2: Gotcha. Thank you, Matthew Steele, for your other question. Asked to Ray this time. Says, you're approaching the topic from a very dispassionate clinical perspective. So what do you think is the best possible state of things regarding the use of abortion around the world? Well, I mean,
3: we ended up covering this over the course of the conversation already, but I mean, as I said earlier, I'm not about arbitrarily increasing the abortion rate for no reason. I'm just taking from the perspective that abortion is gonna be there and it's going to exist. And you know, I'm going to slightly include what was asked in the in in the question just before to Kay as well. I mean, she gave the she gave the part of her response involved saying that we don't we don't you know transfer wealth to thieves in order to prevent them from thieving. But in fact, some would argue that this does in fact occur on some level because if you look at the way that social services operate, these wealth transfers are decreasing the incentive for people to commit crimes that would that, that would involve them acquiring this um this money. So I mean, you could also have the argument and say that by safely providing a certain level of of, of service for for um, for, for abortion termination of pregnancies and so on that you're essentially just serving a market which already would have been there regardless and then you're simply regulating that market in order to make it safer than it otherwise would have been you could also make the same argument with the uh with the supply of alcohol for example people tried to do prohibition on alcohol you ended up with the mafia driving around you know transporting alcohol here and there and so the only way to bring it back into the legal sphere was to have the government actually you know regulate the provision of alcohol and to essentially do audits on these people and to impose special amounts of taxation on different types of spirits and so on similarly with the um debate on On um, uh, on certain types of drugs, particularly marijuana, for example, in the United States uh, and in Canada, where they had the debate over whether the drug war should be wound down to an end because of the fact that people kept doing the drugs anyway, even though the state had imposed a ban on those. So, bringing it under regulation may create a safer environment for people who are going to make that choice, regardless of whether you tell them yes or no. So, I mean, I would say to the to to the person who's asking asking the question, again, I am not intending to arbitrarily increase the number of abortions for some kind of fun or something like this because obviously it is not fun um you know it's just about creating the safest environment in which people can make these choices and reducing the number of of unnecessary pressures which may force people into those into those decisions because again the phrase i used at the beginning of this conversation was um was reproductive choice which is part of reproductive justice this involves the right not just to um um, have abortions but rather the right to have children if you actually want them at a time and spacing of your own choosing and that second part is the part that's extremely important to emphasize
2: gotcha and thank you for your question coming in from harley quinn said quote person unquote or not a free woman retains their bodily autonomy to choose who may and who may not use it as an incubator and it's just harley quinn james
1: um i'm going to try to keep this as Quick and limited as possible because I could argue the bodily autonomy argument forever. Um, Bodily autonomy, first of all, is not an absolute. There are plenty of instances in a civilized society where you cannot just do whatever you want to do with your own body. You cannot publicly expose yourself or publicly urinate. You can't assault someone. You can't, if you fling your hands around because you feel like doing so and you hit someone, you've assaulted them. You can't sexually assaults somebody else because you feel the need for sexual gratification and that's what you wanna do with your body. There are limits to the idea of bodily autonomy and that limit is where another person's body and rights begin. So if you wanna argue that bodily autonomy gives you the right to an abortion, you also have to acknowledge that a fetus, as we've mentioned many times before, is a human being with the equal rights to bodily autonomy Abortion violates their bodily
2: autonomy. Gotcha. And thank you for your question. This one is for Ray. It's from Sunflower. And they asked, they said, uh, people with cerebral palsy or progeria often say they're happy they weren't aborted. Why is it okay to abort lives just because they're deformed or diseased?
3: I I think that anyone who is alive will probably, when asked in a poll claim that they're happy to have um to to have been born however i think this is a weird philosophical question they're asking because a person who has never been born has never experienced life and therefore be unrepresented on a poll so i'm 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 mystified as to as as to how this question is being posed to me gotcha like if you didn't exist how would you vote on a poll
2: you got it and movie theory i'm surprised this is like Maybe the first night we've gotten like sincere questions. <laughs> Movie theories had come and troll, but says, Does R want to censor pictures of babies from ab- abortions?
3: Do I, okay, do I want to censor pictures? Well, I mean, I'm not aware of pictures that have been created. I mean, maybe there are some. Um, there, well, I mean, no, I just realised what they're talking about. So, if there are, if there are um, pro pro life groups on the like social conservative side who are showing like literal pictures of of I guess dismembered fetuses or something like this, do I think that there should be censorship on that? No, I don't think the government should be able to just arbitrarily censor images that people may or may not find distressing. But obviously, I would expect that, like, in the name of, I guess, um, in order to to, to um, placate some public sensibilities, at least like provide a warning if someone is going to show those those images. Like, I guess it would be up to them to provide a warning if they want to. But again, I don't think the state should mandate that people should provide warnings before they display certain images. So, I mean, I don't know the motive behind that question because I don't think I addressed it during the conversation in the first place. But, no, I don't think the government should be regulating whether you can show images to people. I mean, there are plenty of people, I think, posting these things on Twitter. And I don't think Twitter stops them from doing it either.
2: Gotcha. Thank you. And next, thanks for your question. Or this is a movie theory says, join the secular pro-life network. Gotcha. And T Torshan Thanks for your super chat. Part of it I don't understand, so I'm just gonna, let's see, They, I think they said, uh, I don't know what this is. They say, is, is Ray a unit for, I don't know what, hold on one sec, because sometimes we get these characters, define, sometimes we get these, uh, okay, yep never mind Yeah, that. i think
3: i saw that question when it was written the first time it was one of those it was one of those strange questions where what they've done is they've asked me a question but like the second part of it involves like an anti-semitic statement that they've appended to it so like i think if you read out the whole question it wouldn't play out very well
2: <laughs> yeah it's we have attracted some characters to our channel but uh goody okay. T Torshan, I don't know what you're trying to do. But sometimes we get these troublemakers. And we are okay with you if you give arguments, but I just don't see where this is going. And it looks like it's going in a bad direction. So uh, if you want the $2 back for your if you want a happy meal tomorrow or something, I could send it back. But I'm not going to read that. Luis Romero. Thanks for your mm-hmm question, this is for Kay, they said if an embryo is equal to a third trimester fetus or an adult the use of lethal force can be justified to stop an abortion i.e. an abortion clinic shooting as it can be justified to prevent the uh, the murder of an adult that was a long question, I think I'm did I say K or Ray, I keep getting this confused, it was for Kay and I could read it again if you'd like, unless you got it no, I, I
1: think I get it, like what he's what he's going for. Um, I'm a libertarian. I very high, heavily support the non-aggression principle. As of right now, abortion is legal, and therefore it is it would not be legally justified to take the life of an abortion doctor that is performing an abortion at any stage of pregnancy. And I will never, ever advocate or support or defend um, shooting abortion doctors, shooting post-abortive women, shooting abortion supporters, or killing them in any way. That's not okay. Um, We're trying to advocate for society to accept pre-born humans as human beings with equal rights to born human beings. We are not going to get there by meeting that with aggression and violence. So I'm never going to advocate or support the idea that we need to fight the violence of abortion with violence on people that support it or carry it out.
2: Gotcha, and thanks so much for your question. Did I, let's see. Yeah, we got that one. And we just had a new one fly in. So not, we don't have too many left. So thanks so much for your patience both of you for being here with us, especially Ray, as you're apparently, hopefully a night owl. And Harley Quinn, thanks for your question asked, when did we establish that the fetus and the living person necessarily have equal value? How did you demonstrate this was the case, Kay?
1: Um, Because whenever you make the argument that a fetus is not of equal value to a born person, it is almost always, I have yet to hear an argument for that basis that wasn't based in the idea that our value as human beings is based on what we provide to the people around us that is not what makes us valuable as humans it's not what gives us gives our life value and that's not what grants us our inalienable human rights to life
2: gotcha and thanks missed a couple mark Spence, thanks for your contribution to the channel really does mean a lot and timothy bryce thanks for your question said Kay Fellows, what would you say to libertarians that disagree with your stance on birth control? I agree with you to negate quote unquote unnecessary abortions.
1: I don't understand how a libertarian can make the argument that the government should in any way be regulating birth control. We as libertarians argue that, first of all, the government does very few things well, and that's why we want to limit their power as much as possible to their primary purpose, which is to defend human rights, particularly constitutionally observed human rights. Um, That is their sole purpose. Um, So I don't understand how a libertarian can make the argument that the government should be stepping in to regulate what grown adults or even I mean, whenever it comes to – I started on birth control whenever I was still a teenager and I had to have parental consent in order to do that. I think that there are ways that we can try to ensure that, you know, teenagers are being informed on birth control and that parents are aware that their underage daughters are on birth control without saying that we need to have all of these regulations in place to where it has become such a burden for women to even be able to access birth control. I don't understand – I've never heard a libertarian make an argument against deregulating birth control. Um, I think I would really have to hear where the argument is coming from, because honestly, I can't wrap my head around the idea that a libertarian would argue that the government should be in control of regulating something like birth control.
2: Gotcha. And thanks for your question. Let's see. We have, I thought we had one more that just came in. Let me just check really quick. Um, I think I'm curious Ray, is do you and T. Torshon have a a history? You, this person seems to be (laughs) really targeting me this
3: evening. I'm I'm not sure as to why he's targeting me, but read his question anyway. I'll address it.
2: Uh, I mean, I I I guess it's it's not literally inappropriate. It's just maybe some would say uncouth. They just said, Ray, Uh, do you have any children, and do you live to work?
3: Um, I mean. I don't understand the second part of the sentence because I don't think that anyone lives to work. People work to live, not the other way, not the other way around. Um, Regarding the children thing, I mean, not at the moment, but I mean, I can keep T. Torcon updated on that situation if he wants.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you. And Mark Spence, thanks for your question, said, Kay, if there is no God, why is abortion objectively wrong?
1: Um, I get this question a lot because I'm not a religious person. I grew up very religious, um, but I have since kind of faded away from being religious. Um, There are moral absolutes that guide us as a society. We are not a religious society, despite what people on the right, traditional conservative Christians, want us to believe that we are a Christian society. America was built on the idea of freedom of religion, and therefore no particular religion guides us as a society. And no religion guides us as a whole, Um, Our culture, our society, our ability to live civilized together um, is based on what I refer to as moral absolutes. We have built our social – our society has been constructed on the idea that killing other human beings, particularly innocent human beings, is wrong. That's why we – even in different cultures around the world we don't kill other innocent human beings, it's considered wrong, you are punished for it. And if you look at cultures as far back as you can go, whenever they started making exceptions to that rule, you saw societies begin to collapse whenever they said that certain human beings did not have that inalienable human right to life. That society eventually collapsed in on itself because those moral absolutes is what guides our society to be able to where we are able to live peaceably for the most part together. Um the idea that it's wrong to kill innocent human beings isn't the only one in particular, but whenever it comes to the argument of abortion, that is the main moral absolute that we as a culture, we as a society, we as honestly like a human species have come to the conclusion that we cannot live peaceably together and build and structure societies if we do not agree to the moral absolute that killing innocent humans particularly is wrong.
2: Gotcha. And Sunflower, thanks for your question, said, Ray, not even all healthy people say they're happy to be alive. Suicide happens. Deformities don't make people wish they were aborted or never born.
3: I mean, it would really depend on who you ask on that one. I mean, I don't like wading into that issue because I can't pronounce for other people as to what their mental state may or may not be since, since he's saying that. But I mean, I do remember a BBC report from from years ago where they were interviewing someone um, who, who was like the product of, of sexual assault or something like this. And like their entire family had been like literally ruined interpersonally across the board by the presence of this... Um, this, this event and when they asked the person who had been born as a consequence of this whether, whether, whether they were okay with the situation, the person themselves expressed a the view that they would rather have never lived which I thought was extremely sad, but it is a counterpoint to what the person who's asking me the question had said. And then when they asked the mother about it as well, the mother herself actually responded on camera in front of the child that she too would have preferred that that child had never existed. And so there was this moment of stunned silence, obviously from the BBC reporters, but I mean, this would seem to contradict the narrative that the person asking me the question is putting forward. Because I mean, you're gonna get all kinds of different
2: answers. Gotcha. And that is our last question for the night, folks. want to say we appreciate you all hanging out. Thanks for your questions. Sorry we didn't get to read all of them. But I do have to say, it's one, uh, not only does Ray have to hopefully get sleep soon, but Kay was also a good sport and very flexible in making this debate because Kay had a fender bender, as I mentioned in the chat. So despite having to kind of lose a lot of time to that this evening. Kay was still willing to come on. So we really appreciate both Kay and Ray for being willing to come on tonight, especially their flexibility. We really appreciate that.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I thought that this was a great conversation. I very much enjoyed it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I agree as well. I mean, I wouldn't mind having another conversation again about like any other topic you'd like. I mean, I don't mind at all. So yeah, thank you for having us on obviously James and um, you know, take it away.
2: My pleasure. You wouldn't happen to believe in alien abductions, would you? <laughs> we'll talk later. Okay. We're looking, folks, for a person who is... We've got someone wanting to debate anyone who is a strong advocate of alien abductions occurring, as well as... What was the other one? Oh, cancel culture. So let me know if you happen to be for cancel culture. Shoot me an email at debate at gmail. And we've got someone who wants to challenge... They take a pretty firm and unyielding, in, kind of inflexible uh, stance against cancel culture. So that could be a fun one. And want to say we, like I said, we really appreciate our speakers. We put their links in the description, folks. And thanks for all of your questions. As well as we want to let you know, if you have not seen, we are on podcast. This debate or discussion will also be on podcast as we are continuing to strive, folks to carry out this vision of hosting fair debates on controversial topics that may not be allowed everywhere. And so we really do, though, most of all want to say thanks to our speakers for being the lifeblood of the channel, making it possible. And with that, we will let you all go for the night. Keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable, folks. Take care.